going to shops, you're going to go to the shops at 120 k's an hour and you're going to get on a food and you're going to put it all in the basket and then you're going to go and you're through the checkout the quickest person if possible, that's it, I'm out of there, but it's not like that, you know, but so I was still in race mode. Hey podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about, whether you're out training, commuting or just riding around. Sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 45 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking about racing in the supermarket. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And this week, a couple of really quick reviews. Thank you for dropping them in there. The first one by Halvard N. Compact, to the point, and well-researched Semi-Pro Rocks. Thank you very much. More like all pro, Hammer V, great podcast with a plethora of topics covered, providing detailed information for every level rider. Great stuff. I look forward to each podcast. Only gripe is I wish you covered cyclocross, but no one is perfect. Cheers. Hammer V, thank you for dropping that in there. I know I don't cover cyclocross. I just don't have a lot of familiarity with it, but Perhaps because Australia is getting momentum, we might see some cyclocross talk coming in the near future. But a reminder that if you do like the show, please take some time out to write a review. Five stars make me giddy. Thanks. And the news. Well, the news, the big news I want to start with this week is not road racing. It's mountain biking. And the first World Cup has been run and won by... An Australian, Dan McConnell, it is so amazing. It has got to be the first win for an Aussie since Cadell was rocking it back in the day. And I've got to say, I'm so happy for this guy. He's been at it for 12 long years. He's finally broke through. He has only bested a top 20 up until now. So he's come out of nowhere and he's absolutely stoked. Have a listen to this. So cannot believe this. Like, you know, I've had one top 20 before ever. You know, and this year I really wanted to sort of go top 15, maybe top 10. But, you know, first World Cup of the year and I come away and win. Got the leader's jersey. Man, I'm speechless. This is gonna, I'm just going to have a smile on my face until next week, I guess. Unbelievable. If that's not shock or amazement and disbelief, then I don't know what is. But I've also got to say, Beck Henderson ran away with the under-23 women's race as well, winning that, which is her first World Cup win. And if you can recall, Beck was on the show last year talking about being self-supported and doing it the hard way while competing on the World Cup circuit. And now that her and Dan have signed with the Trek Pro team. It seems that this is making a large difference to them. I'm so stoked for both of you, and I'll definitely be keeping tabs on your season as if I wasn't going to anyway. But now to the Giro, and holy crap, it just keeps getting more and more epic. The racing conditions, the sickness, the descending, the snow, whatever it is, it just seems like it is non-stop action. There are no down days. It really is great watching, and I'm enjoying watching every stage that I can get my hands on. Nibbly is in charge like a boss. He is an absolute boss. Wiggins is out. Cadle is hanging in there. Where can he make up the time? I'm hoping he rides them all off his wheel in tomorrow's stage when we hit the big mountains, but it's looking like Nibbly is going to come away with it. He 
just has control over the race. He has so much confidence that it's going to be hard to shake him. But this is racing and you never know what could happen. Something else that I really dig about the Giro and this year in particular has really highlighted it is the way that the Italian riders put it in day after day. And it must be, of course, well, of course, it's a big deal to win a stage in your home tour. But the way that the Italians go on the attack, the way that they win races, such heart, such class, case in point, Giovanni Viscotti, yesterday's stage was his second. He got away and he stuck it out on the flat for 10 kilometers. And the way he attacked on the hill in the Galibier, just amazing way to win and if you want to talk about confidence talk about Movistar and they are absolutely rocking this tour so well done to them and it's definitely a race for seconds at the pointy end of the race and I've got to say Cadel you've made a very controversial decision to wear the Giro attack I don't know I really don't know if it's the right choice it's a cardinal sin of pro racing sacrificing style for performance I hope you're getting paid a lot of cash to wear that helmet because it's compromising you, buddy. But anyway, stage 14 and 15 were rippers. I was on the edge of my seat. My heart always pumps, but it was going a little bit harder because the finish was on the uphill. But just watching them smash it right at the end of stage 15 was so awesome. Next week, well, today is the time trial. We'll see what happens in the time trial. Stage 19, the big one. Everyone's been waiting for this one. I've been waiting for this one for the entire tour. I can't wait to see what happens. It is going to be epic. And then last chance, Saturday. We have to find out what's going to happen after 19 to see what's going to happen on Saturday. But either way, we've got a big couple of days of racing coming up. And talking about big racing, the Tour of California is wrapped up. TJ Van and comes away with the win. Does this mean now the BMC has a leadership battle on their hands? Is number two in the Giro better than a win in the Tour of California or vice versa? I've got to say, TJ, you've still got an apprenticeship to do and at least give Cadel one more tour. Second, Mick Rogers with second, showing that it's going to be an interesting tour because he will be working for Contador and having him by your side is a very strong ally. And a final mention to Cam Meyer, he finished in fifth, he kind of blew it, but a very solid result leading into the rest of the year, which I do believe he's starting at the Tour of Swiss. So let's see what happens there. One thing I want to say about the Tour of California, what about the time trial bike change? What do you think of bike changes in the middle of time trials? I know you may ride cyclocross and this is normal to you, but coming from a self-supported event like cross country, it just seems a little too pretentious for me. Maybe there needs to be a rule to stamp this out. Let me know what you think about this because for me... I don't believe it, and it's an absolute crap way to race. There's no spirit in it. There is no heart in it, and it really just drives me crazy. Okay, so the nuts and bolts this week. I want to talk race strategies. I want to talk making split-second decisions and how you can start moving a framework into your mind to help you make these decisions, which sometimes can be make-or-break win or lose, out the hoop or out the front. And this issue really popped up in my head after watching Jens Voigt storm home with his win on the fifth stage of the Tour of California, which was a part of a planned move because 
the course and the crosswind awareness that Radio Shack have, they are rascally little devils when it comes to crosswinds, and no doubt that is because of Bruniel's influence in the past. But anyway, it was also a split-second decision for Jens to go on the attack. It was his instinct to go with 5Ks to go. The crosswind split that Radio Shack initiated caught some of the GC riders out, and so he was quoted as saying it was a split-second decision to go with it. It really got me thinking about the scope of split-second decisions in racing. Race radios aren't allowed in the Tour of California, so this kind of mimics a lot of the races that we're doing, even though not always in a team environment, but we don't have the luxury of a DS having everything in front of us, making decisions for us, because they've got a clear ahead. They're not in the situation. So it's more about race plan and your team leader or you as an individual rider making decisions on the road. So split-second decisions like do I sprint and try and make it or do I wait here and hope to catch them on the descent become crucial to doing well. Even the smallest hesitation can cost you and opportunities don't tend to hang around so you can either take them or someone else will. So this is where I see a race plan as very important. But the split-second decision thing, that's breaking a race plan a lot of the times or is it? Sometimes the only way to survive a race is to be reactive and reacting to riders around you, reacting to a rider in need of a bike or a wheel. What fuels reaction is split-second decision-making, but decisions in these cases are based on experience, discipline, and the partnership between the team members. You can't plan for that. You can only hope that the fundamentals were learned and the reaction was sound and the decision is a good one. These cases, it's all about trusting your instincts. I want to kind of move people along that don't have these instincts yet, or you're having the wrong instincts and making the wrong moves. I want to kind of give you a guide to get in and actually enable these decisions within a framework. I really can't pinpoint the moment that you instinctively know what to do in a race. But even if you feel you're at that moment, you're not going to get it right every single time either. So a race plan is going to give you a guide to your decisions in a fatigued state when your brain starts playing tricks on you. And making these decisions in races is something that comes with time. A little awareness of what is happening around you can go a long way if you're just starting out. But if you've been riding for a while and still missing the important breaks or decisive moments A race plan will help your race chances and your split-second decision ability. Races have an infinite combination of options for how they're run and won. So today, I'm going to stick to some generalities that will hopefully give you an edge when you go into your next race. So the race plan, let's get down to it. I want you to think of a race plan as a mental compass, especially because your brain is going to be playing tricks on you and you're going to lose some of that clarity as soon as you start turning pedals in anger. So think of it as your mental compass pointing you in the direction that you want to go. And the thing is here, a race plan can be as complicated or as simple as you want to make it. But if you plan your race ahead of time and you can have the race plan memorized, that is going to be the best way to fall back when you don't know what to do in a situation. So initially, you're wanting to write down a long draft of notes. You want to get everything out so that then you can pick out the things that you want. Once you've completed your draft, then highlight what's more important, which will only be the top three to six race points. The best race plan is the one that's easy to remember and actionable. So you don't want to overwhelm yourself in this process. But at the start, don't worry, just get it all out there, and then we'll move into the second part later. So here are some questions to get you thinking about what's important in your next upcoming race. 
How soon do the hard bits start? Always make time to have a look at the race route by going around it in a car if it's on the road or on the bike if it's on dirt. Either way, try and do it the day before the race or on the morning of the race if time allows. Look out for major climbs, bad corners, road conditions, prevailing winds, exposed sections where crosswinds could have a major impact and naturally have a good look at the finish. Is it uphill, downhill, bad corners, etc.? Riding the last part of the course in a pre-race warm-up can be the best way to learn what it's like at speed, which makes it a lot easier to judge your sprint attacks and lead-outs or whatever style you want to come into the finish as. What will be the pace at the start? Working at the pace at the start is more for figuring out your warm-up and positioning at the start. The first attack won't get away in most cases, so don't go chasing. Just be prepared that when you hit the start line, you want to know where you want to be in the bunch and you want to stick to it. Is there a heart rate zone or power zone you want to average? This is not really for a road race. You can put your maximums in as far as when you want to attack or you want to go up a hill, and that's going to protect you from going into the red. But thinking about your heart rate and power zone is more for time trials, cross-country races, that type of thing, where it's a steady effort over the period of the race. It's linked to your overall pacing strategy, and knowing this is going to keep you in check when the pace is high at the start of the race, and hopefully you keep powering right through to the end. Who do you want to stick with in front of or keep in your sights? Now, this is easy if it's your local club race because you've got, you know, your local foe that you like to race against and you know their strengths and weaknesses because you ride with them a lot or you train with the person or whatever it is. But when you start moving into bigger events, it can get harder and harder to pinpoint the actual riders, especially if you've moved upgrades where you don't know who the hitters necessarily are. If it's a big race, and there's going to be unfamiliar riders, you're going to have to do some homework to find out who the big guns are. If you don't know who they are or what they're capable of, trawling through their club website to look for results and benchmarking them off their time trial times or other riders that you do know will give you an idea if they're in it for the win or not. And generally, if they've been winning up until the race, so you know how their form is going into the race. And further from this, if you don't know what they look like or the colors of their kit, write their numbers down on masking tape and put it on your stem. This is going to make it easier to pick them out during the race. So even if you can't go with them during an attack, for example, you can at least watch them and watch how they operate during the race to try and learn something from them. This again is important if you just step up a grade and you're not there yet. And you want to learn how to function the best way in the grade that you're in. What are your strengths? Okay, so you will hopefully be at least working on your strengths and weaknesses in training, which means you will be aware of them. Now is the time when you can actually apply your strengths. So the old saying, train your weaknesses, race your strengths. You're really going to want to race your strengths and match them to the terrain that you're riding. This is where the race plan is the specific plan for the event that you're doing comes into play. But further to the point above, though, it's also important to know your competitor's strengths. But if you can't get this information, then knowing your own strengths is going to be the best way to handle the terrain that you're going into. So think about it. If you're weak on climbs, then position yourself in the front of the bunch just as the climb is starting and then slowly drift back into the peloton so that you're using as little energy as possible. A good way to do this is to descend off the front to get a run into the hill. If you're a poor bunch sprinter, then it's best to try and win from a small bunch, find the best place to attack and try and stay away till the end. Or if you're a good time trialist, then you've got to try and do that solo. 
So understanding yourself as a writer is a big part, but it's only one part of the equation. Finding the spots on the course that support this are important in every major race you enter. How will you react to being overtaken? Keeping your mental game sharp while being beaten down by your rivals is tough, but... Knowing when you can make up time in the next section can stop you from wasting mental energy by beating yourself up when you drop a wheel or get passed during the race. I'll move into this later, but this does come down to helping you with your split-second decisions, whether you have to go with the gun or you have to hold back and wait because you're going to blow yourself and you can't afford to do it. So that's where knowing yourself, knowing your rivals, and knowing the terrain is really going to come into its own when it helps you make these split-second decisions. Which techniques need your focus? Relaxing your shoulders on climbs, moving from the hips down in time trials, not getting pushed off a wheel. All these are techniques that you can work on during a race. Like I said at the start, though, you want to choose three to six race points to focus on. Working on a technique like this might not be that important for very big races, but you can bump them up in priority for smaller races if you want to focus on these things to hopefully then start getting them into your system and they just become natural while you're in races and you can think about higher level things. Where can you use your skills to your advantage? Descending, single track, mental toughness. Skills can give you an edge on certain courses and this is another variation of playing to your strengths but without the fitness element. Something to consider here that if you're going into a race undercooked and need to make up time elsewhere other than hills, this is where you can really start to think about, okay, can I attack on the descent and get time? Can I attack somewhere where it's not necessarily about fitness and I can get away and then make up for time before they get to me or try and get to the line first? Where do you need to be alert? What are the pinch points? Bike races often come down to only three, four, or five big efforts, including closing a gap, making a break, holding a wheel in a climb, responding to an attack, or nailing the bunch sprint. That's it. So these critical moments are going to require the effort of your life, though. So you've got to be focused and ready for these moments and understand where they're going to be in the race so you can set yourself up to be there and be ready to hit them when they happen. A big part of this is not wasting energy on things that don't matter, though, which brings up a general point about conserving energy. Always check your spot where you were riding and ask, why am I in the wind? What am I doing here? Is there a reason I'm doing all the work? During a race, question every move you make. Do this so that you're always aware of what you're doing and why. Are you chasing someone down? No. Are you setting a tempo for a teammate? No. Then get out of the wind. Don't do any more work than you have to. And talking about wind, it's kind of the same thing in attacks as well. If you're in a small bunch off the front after an attack, you don't want to be not doing the work. All you need to do in attack is match the work of the least active rider. That way you can stay off the radar of the other guys or girls that are in the break. And that way you can conserve energy in the break for a counterattack or whatever you're going to do from that position. But while we're talking about positioning, a big thing to talk about here is wind. Knowing the wind conditions in relation to the course can be one of the best pre-race time investments that you can make. By studying the course map before the race and knowing the direction the wind is blowing can give you an edge later on so you don't get caught sleeping because crosswinds can easily split the bunch and turn the race around like I talked about in the Tour of California. Also, corners into strong headwinds and tailwinds can also help you or hurt you depending on how you ride them because we know you don't attack into a block headwind, but you may attack 
into a tailwind, you have a better chance of getting away if you attack into a tailwind. So it may be very crucial to get to the front of the bunch before you turn a crucial corner in the race, before the crosswinds are coming. Also, you put yourself in a position to work hard to avoid the gutter before you're in the gutter because ultimately it's going to be harder and once you get in that gutter it is hell and you may not make it back where are the recovery points is there a place where no one will attack so you can take a piso or find teammates or just take a moment to yourself now this is different in a road race to a mountain bike race because the recovery points may be the downhills. There may be a slight lull section that you can get a breather and take some food in because every other part of the course is rough and you just can't do it there. So you're going to have to think about what you want to do in the recovery points, which is just as, as important to where they are. What words will keep you positive? I've spoken about this before, but I thought it's important to bring this up because all of these things are a reminder before you hit the start line of what you should be doing during the race. What's your mantra or song chorus that will keep you focused yet relaxed during the race? What time are you aiming for? Again, this links again to heart rate zones, what your pacing strategy is, what do you need to do to achieve this time so you can set out and you can know whether you are following that pacing strategy and whether you're going to make it halfway through the race? How can you minimize fatigue? Avoiding fatigue by consistently asking yourself these questions. Am I drinking enough? Am I eating enough? Am I too far out in front? Am I too far out the back? Why am I on the left side of the road? Why am I on the right side of the road? Why am I in the big chain ring? Why am I in the little chain ring? Asking yourself these questions will keep you fueled and alert, which minimizes fatigue. It's very important. And road races, it's about positioning and eating. And mountain bike races, it's about maintaining your fuel, momentum, and riding smoothly. So that's the end of the questions. There is a lot of information in there. It will produce a lot of information once you start writing down this stuff. And I don't know whether you'd want to do it for every single race, but definitely A and B races, going in with a plan is going to change things for the way that you approach the race and possibly what happens during the race. All that information is super important to race your best in the terrain and the weather handed to you. So review the information once you've answered those questions and choose the main three to six points that will be crucial in that race. Once you've done that, though, you can take it one step further. And this is where the race plan can guide you in your split second decisions. So here it's not about writing down what you anticipate the split-second decisions to be because, of course, there could be a million of them. It's more about working in the framework of the three to six points that you have down on the page and where they point you. Again, think of this thing of a mental compass where the race plan is directing you in a certain direction and if, if your split decision will not send you in that direction, then don't take it. So now that you have the three to six points set out in your race plan, you can look at the likely decisions you will have to make in the race. It isn't foolproof, but it will go a long way in making you understand how to sit in the center of the terrain, other riders, and your strengths. So knowing your strengths, your rivals, the hard bits, and the course will help you make those decisions. So I put together a small example of a race plan that I would do, say, a 120-kilometer road race with five major climbs, my strengths, climbing, and descending 
I want to focus on drinking and eating every hour. I want to sit behind someone on the flat sections, but I want to set my own pace on the climb. And also my assessment means I need to watch out for the wind on the second climb. So you can see if I start getting into trouble on a climb, I'm just going to set my own tempo. I'm not going to get carried away and go away. If one person attacks, I'm not going to go and sit on their wheel because I don't believe I can keep up with them and add to the breakaway on a flat because I need to be sitting behind someone. And so I would make that decision and not put myself in the hurt box unless it was the second climb where it may be worth fighting for a wheel because otherwise I'll be left out flapping in the breeze if I'm on my own and it won't do me any good. And on and on and on. I really could go on and on about the scenarios and things that could happen based on what my race plan is. But I will stop there because I hope you get a picture of where this can actually just start moving your brain and pointing in the direction that you want to go and then how you can use it during an actual race. But saying all that though, I'll leave you with a quote from Jens Voigt from an interview he did with Anthony Tan recently. It kind of contradicts the whole thing, but it's interesting and it really is cycling at its core, well, from the passionate side anyway. I have a big engine. I can handle a big workload. I'm willing to work hard. I think this instinct is just part of who I am. It's hard to teach because the decision-making is done in just a split second. It's like a voice talking in your head saying, go now, go now, go now, and then listening to the voice. I try to teach the boys to be brave, be courageous. On Sunday night, if you have some energy left, it's too late. There is no stage on Monday. Get it all out now. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Okay, tech hacks and products section. Now, this week, it's cheating a little bit because it's not a tech hack or a product, but it's something I wanted to raise up, and this is the only section I could fit it in, so don't hate me too much. What it is, I want you to try something different this week. I want you to push outside what you normally do. You know, attack if you don't normally attack. Sit in if you normally attack. So sit in a little longer than you normally would. Do something that pushes you outside of your cycling comfort zone. Nothing dangerous, just unexpected. At the same time, give yourself permission to fail, but gather the data and use it as a lesson. I know it sounds a little personal developy, and it kind of is, but I also want to give you permission to try something new because you never know what's going to happen. And generally, I find the best things happen outside of the comfort zone. Sometimes cycling and the way that we think about our performance can actually hinder us when we're coming into a big event because we want to control as much as possible. But really, if you're in a race that isn't too big, just have a go at doing something different and have a really proper go at it. See what happens and tell me what happens. I'm really interested to find out whether it's given you any extra insight to how you ride, how other people ride, or how you approach races in the first place. Now, that quote from the top of the show, did you guess it? It's Nathan Rennie. Now, he's not a competitive cyclist. Well, he was a competitive ex-downhill racer on the world stage, an absolute gun of his time, has a large, large reputation, a big personality, and you can tell from that quote that he had some initial trouble adjusting to life after racing, but he has definitely moved on now, and he's doing coaching camps, which I will link to in the show notes if you want to check those out, but for me, that's it this week. So till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. 
Before I go, I heard news of two broken bones from this past weekend. I just want to say, heal well and Godspeed on the recovery, boys. It's such a bummer that this has happened, but we will get you back out there.